And I literally went, grew up and then bought a, a 10 pack of glasses. It's 74 miles, which is one thing, but then it's 16,000 feet of elevation gain. I was just desperate and I was like floating in the water and I'm like, Hey, any chance you have like an extra pair of goggles? I was like, I will, I will remember your Venmo account. Today on the pod, we're joined by Colin Burns, a multidisciplinary athlete who's competed in events like multiple triathlons, high rocks, the tactical games, and the Georgia death race. Colin's story is relatable. He was working as an investment banker in New York City, working over 100 hours a week, and his gradual progression to elite level athlete started with just a single Barry's Bootcamp class. Chatting with Colin was super inspiring. Afterwards, I FaceTimed Abe and we started talking about how we had to step up our own athletic ambitions. I hope you enjoy this episode of On the Rise with Colin Burns. Should we get started then? Let's yeah. do it. Let's roll. Let's do it. All right. Really excited to have Colin Burns on the pod today. Looked at your adventure resume. You've competed at Tactical Games, High Rocks, Go Ruck, the Decathlon, the Georgia Death Race, and also Triathlons. So first question is to go back to where it all began. What was it like growing up as a kid? Were you always this freak of nature athlete or where does that uh, competitive drive come from? Yeah. So going back all the way to a kid, the answer is definitely no. I think actually growing up, I was very unathletic. Like my parents famously loved to say, I used to come home as like a kid and tell them I'm not a team sports guy or I'm like, basically, I just don't like sports. I think I played house basketball when I was in like elementary school and the only basket I got, we scored on our own, my own basket or the only basket I scored was on my own basket. I wasn't like the person who was like, I, I dream of going to the NFL or whatever it would be. I was always pretty fast as a runner. And I think that's, that's kind of the only really constant, but I think that what happened is I was, a, I was like a little bit of like a, a late bloomer. I didn't really like find myself kind of until a little later. I was kind of grew up in early days between New Jersey and Virginia, Northern Virginia area. And then at the end of middle school, my whole family moved to the UK. And that was a huge change for me. I think for everyone in the family, like it just, it was my first time leaving the country and it was actually a move. And when I got there, my school was totally different. It was a much smaller program with like a lot fewer people. There's a lot of attention paid to kind of like 360 development of people. And then kind of my first like, you know, really kind of liking what I was doing was winter came around. And so I knew the rules of basketball, but as I told you guys, I, I was terrible. I still am to this day. Like, I'm just, I'm not good at like the finesse sports, like hitting a tennis ball gently or like shooting a basketball. I've never been that, that good with. And so the other main winter sport is rugby. And I didn't know the rules, but I got a lot of encouragement to come out for it. And I, I know it sounds like cliche, but literally like the first like training slash tryout day. I was like, this is amazing. I've loved it. Can you talk a bit about like, your skill level and your advancement in these sports as it relates to your enjoyment level? Is there a huge correlation there where you try rugby and the first time you try it, you really start to really enjoy it. And then that gives you the drive or do you feel like as you started to enjoy these sports more, you really started to dedicate more of yourself towards them? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think when I was younger, it was more the former. Now it's more the latter. But like now when I found I find things I like, I kind of go like, I spend a lot of time, effort, money, like trying to get better at those things. I think back then I kind of liked doing it just to do it. You know, like with, even in high school, I was, I was one of the smallest guys on the rugby team. I was like, I'm not a big guy by like, by nature. 
And so I still loved it and still found a position that was great for me. And then I would actually say one of the more humbling experiences of my life, again, this is still high school days, but it was after junior year of high school, I was really kind of loving both rugby and lacrosse. And I signed up for Maryland lacrosse camp. So it was literally the summer camp at the University of Maryland, which is, you know, the top lacrosse team. And so the idea is it's a, it's like a four day camp, but it's like three sessions a day. So it's, it's kind of all out. And the idea of the camp is that you, they're kind of trying to identify a talent that they can like recruit to play. And so there's a lot of really, really good athletes who went there and I showed up like this kid from England had never really played in the U S but I was like, I, you know, I like to play, like, I think I'm all right. And I got, I got destroyed. I was by far, I think there's 500 kids. I was the worst person there by far. And I, that was honestly, I'm not like trying to be cliche when I say that, like that was my first realization of like, there's just levels to everything. Right. And that, that still mm-hmm. applies on like races and sports I do where, you know, like you can really be like working hard for, for kind of like your activity, but you're still have your desk job. And so you're like half a weekend warrior and then you show up and you're like, I feel pretty good about how I do. And then there's still people who are just like, just a, a new level. Right. And so yeah. that was, was humbling, but I still liked the game and still like, I still enjoy it and still like to play it. So I don't think that discourages me as much as it would maybe today. I don't know if you view your progression as an athlete, as a gradual progression or whether it was, there was a huge moment, but I'm wondering, can you try and think of a time where there was clearly a shift in your mindset and how serious you took these things Yeah, you know, after your high school days, maybe after college, can you think of like that first competition or first athletic achievement where maybe it's as you're doing it or after you're doing it where you realize, oh, something's different now that I've done this? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if there's one moment, but I can kind of tell you like the the slope of kind of how it, how it happened. I think it kind of like started, like snowball started running on the hill and then it got like, it got steeper. So went to college. And then when I was there, I was active. I went to the gym a lot with buddies and, you know, we would lift, but it wasn't like we weren't doing that program. So we would just go and get on machines and kind of see who could do how much and then go eat a ton of food at the calf. And then what happened was I moved to New York in 2015. And my first job I was working was a lot from an hours perspective. I mean, it was over a hundred hours a week, leaving super, super late at night, you know, pre pre COVID. So there's no zoom. It was all in person. Yeah. So, you know, was this a banking banking. Job? yeah, it was a banking job. And so we'd leave, you know, a good night be like getting home before like two, three back in, in the morning. And it was, I mean, just nonstop and it was weekends too. And I found in the banking culture, there was a lot of people who really like to go out, drink a lot. No one was really thinking about healthy eating. You know, you order delivery like every night with people from your class. And it was a lot of like Shake Shack, fried chicken, just bad food, right? So I noticed, well, I'm sorry, I didn't notice. I, I was just doing this job because I was really focused on like trying to do a good job. But like, you know, I'm giving every hour I have that I'm not sleeping like to the job. I was a member at like Equinox, but if I went... I would kind of like mess around for like 40 minutes and then like run back to the office because I got an email or something. And so I didn't really notice kind of like the change happening. It was pretty slow, but I started to notice like my clothes weren't really fitting. And the kind of key moment for me was winter, so holidays of 16. So I'd been working for like a year and a half 
And I like snuck out to go meet my family in Florida for the holidays. You had to sneak out to meet your family. Yeah, 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 for a few days. And I was working on my laptop like the whole time. And I remember at one point I tried to go for like, I had like a two mile job and I was completely gassed, like totally out of breath, like felt terrible. And that's kind of when I was like, man, what, what's happened to you? Like, I realized like all my, oh, none of my old clothes fit. Like I'm, I'm in terrible shape, feel terrible. And then not at all to like be a downer, but just to kind of paint a picture kind of yeah. pretty close together. My, uh, my grandmother passed away and we were super close. And then my mother actually got diagnosed with cancer and pseudomyxoma was the type. So she's going to have this like brutal surgery to try to fix it, but nothing was guaranteed. And so I was just in like a pretty tough place. Like I was still just working nonstop at this job. I was like, wasn't eating healthy, wasn't living healthy, kind of had had, you know, a loss in the family. My mother was, was not, was, you know, had cancer and I just found myself, I was like angry all the time and just like, didn't feel good. So what happened was a few things. So I got a new job and moved to kind of the hedge fund space, which was a great shift for me. That's a very morning heavy job, not a very like late night heavy job. A lot of hours, but it's, it's less like grind till four in the morning on PowerPoint and more like be the first man in, like figuring out what you're going to do for the day, if you will. Hmm. So, but, but Colin, sorry, before you, yeah, you move into 100%. this next stage, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, like, yeah, please. You know, what was that transition period like for you out of banking and also given all the stuff happening in your life, like all the things happening, your family still being like committed to work. Did you start to slip away from work a little bit more or, you know, do you have regrets yeah, so of not I spending took, more time elsewhere? I took kind of like a zero or one approach to that. So I, I, I was just fine. I couldn't just perform well. And like my, my headspace was not there. And so the firm to give credit was actually really great about kind of like I was when my grandmother passed away, like I took some time off and then I went back for my mother's cancer surgery as well. And I, I, I had said like, there's a hard line. Like I'm not checking email. I'm not doing anything like this is, this is really important. And this is like kind of family. Even when I came back though, it, it was still like, it was very front of mind. And even if it wasn't, I think it kind of subconsciously impacted a lot of just interactions, good quality of interactions, with other people and just like decision-making and things like that. So I did find it was pretty challenging to like, you know, a lot of people are really good at like uh, compartmentalizing. And I felt like it, it was, I had, that was probably the biggest challenge I've had like in doing that. Wow. Got it. And so that, that and a bunch of other factors led you into to moving jobs and, and moving to this next stage. Right. Yeah, totally. And I, and for the record, I, I definitely wanted to move roles outside of this. I didn't leave just because of, of these things there's, there's a lot of stuff that went into it but yeah so ended up leaving and kind of at the same time i had moved in with a guy who's a really good friend of mine now who actually worked with me at the bank he was a little older and he you know he, he would laugh if you heard me say this because he, he loves to kind of like joke and take credit for it so he kind of lit the spark he was really healthy ate really well was like kind of focused on like just like not, I don't want to say clean living, but like just kind of paying more attention to what you eat and like looking after yourself. And he invited me to go to a Barry's boot camp class. And when I first heard that, I was like, I'm not <laughs> classes are for girls, like in yoga. I'm not doing that. Like guys get a lot of weights. But eventually he like convinced me to go. We went on a Saturday and I just got like crushed. I remember like I was not like people near me were like completely outperformed me and I'm like a decently competitive person. So I was like 
I was kind of hooked. So I started going to Barry's like, quite a lot and like found myself like getting better. And by now I'm kind of like in this new role, right? So I started going like a few times a month and then I ramped it up. And then I think everything really switched when someone at Barry's told me, again, this is in New York City, you should go to this studio called Tone House. And mm, I've seen, I've seen ads for them. Yeah. What so is Tone House? I've never heard of it. I had, so I, I'm not going to do a great job describing it, but basically it's, it's a, so it's, it's class-based only. It's a gym. The whole facility is indoor turf. It's like black turf and the, the lights are dim red and they play like great music. And I always say, because people think it's CrossFit, it's not at all. There's like the heaviest weight you use in the traditional class is like 25 pounds, but it's a lot of like, I would say like a lot of all out efforts and then like brief rest, all out efforts, brief rest. So it's a lot of like box jumps with burpees in between sprints, bear crawls, runners, like max pull-up efforts, rope slams, and they keep the pace and the energy really, really, really high. And so yeah. I've, I've sat, like, that was one of my biggest things I missed or was going to miss and do miss about like leaving New York city. But I really give them a lot of credit. The owner of the gym is this guy named Alonzo and he's just the absolute man. He, he practices what he preaches and he's just built an amazing facility, an amazing workout, amazing community with kind of all, all the trainers there. Like, you know, they, coach Alonzo, coach James, I would go see them all the time. And so the first time I went there, I threw up. And I distinctly remember what it was. And I, I began, I've been going to Barry's for a few months. So I was starting to feel kind of like good. And I went to this, I showed up to like the class and they had you do something. So it's on turf and to describe it, you get in like a push-up position and you had a 45 pound weight plate by your feet. And on the lip of the weight plate, you hooked your feet and you had to like holding a push-up position, walk forward it's called crock walks with your hands and drag the plate. And I remember I dragged it like one way down and was like totally seeing red. And I was kind of like, I'm, I'm not taking it back. Like I'm done. Like everyone in this class has been here a million times. And the coach on the mic is just like, we can stay here all day or, or you can come back with the weight, your choice. So I, I got it back, not glamorously. And then I literally went, grew up and then bought a, a 10 pack of classes. And so I mentioned that <laughs> not to necessarily just plug them, but I, I really do give that gym credit for like kind of the first time since like high school rugby and lacrosse being like, wow, like you, there's a lot that's possible if like you really apply effort and if you are consistent. And so that, that was kind of like kind of phase two of three, if, if you will, of kind of like who, who I am today. I feel like most people, if they threw up at a workout class surrounded yeah. by people that show up would not, you know, sign up for more and commit to more. So in that moment, what, what was the like light bulb that was like, I need to double yeah, down on so this. So I think honestly, just cause I've been going to Barry's a bunch. And I, so I, I didn't mention, I was kind of like recommitted. I was like, I'm going to get in much better shape. And just to like put some numbers around it. I think like when I was in college, I was probably like 180 pounds, maybe like one high 170s. When I left banking, I was 206 the day I left. Not a good oh. 206 either, like a bad 206. And so I was like, I'm going to get down to once. And so I kind of had had like the flame reignited in me. And I had realized through starting to get back into fitness or, or kind of like really getting into it with like programs and being scientific about it with eating. I had realized it was just like the, the, the only thing that worked with kind of like dealing with sort of some of the family health issues I talked about. That's what made me feel better. 
all the time. And that was kind of it. And it really made me feel better a lot. It made me feel like really good. And so I got like kind of hooked on it. And when I found a place that was like able to push you that hard or, or at least sets up an environment where you can push yourself that hard, I was just completely hooked and like addicted. I mean, even still, when I go back to the city to visit, like I always carve out time to at least get, you know, one or two classes in and, and go back. That's awesome. You're a guy that I, I think of when I think of you, I think of performance and you no, talk about you. like dial in yeah. training and plans. So I, I have a sense we're getting there, but I'd love to hear about, you know, now that transitional journey between you're starting to take some of these classes, getting into a new mindset, getting all fired up to yeah. what clicked in you that, that really pushed you way beyond the average. Yeah, that's a great question. And I can, yeah, it's a perfect segue. So had been going to Barry's, been going to Tone House, kind of started lifting again, kind of started running. And then the kind of third piece of the puzzle that sort of clicked for all of this and was sort of like off to the races now, pardon the pun, is so during kind of the, with all the stuff I was going through with, you know, family, my, my grandmother and, you know, my mother having cancer, I had a, a very good friend from college who, you know, today is, is like a brother to me. He had been going through some similar, but probably, you know, arguably like maybe more challenging type issues. And, you know, I think a lot of people turned to pretty unhealthy habits and he was the opposite. He got really into endurance sports and kind of like just started ripping off triathlons, what felt like every other weekend. And he like looked great and was like, you know, in super good shape. And so I stayed in touch with him and you know, he had said, you got to come and do a triathlon with me. And I was like, I love the idea, but I got to get a bike. I haven't swam in like a long time. I had run a half marathon once, <laughs> like, and that was like a big deal finishing it at the time. Not, not at all to like put it down, but I remember like just compared to kind of what I view as like possible now. And so I signed up for the, it was the New York city triathlon, either summer 17 or 18. I honestly can't remember now. I think 17 and got a bike for it and started kind of riding bikes with some guys in Central Park. And once I did that first race, I was like, I was actually hooked, not necessarily on triathlon specific, but I got hooked on an idea. I got hooked on yeah. the idea that there are tons of events out there, performance-based events where you can sign up and you have a, a training and kind of a plan for it. And then you basically attack and execute that plan and you get, you get handed a result. And I just loved it. I liked every part of it, like race day energy, seeing like the different prep, the different like community of people. I just thought it was great. And so I think that first triathlon really like, that's what bit the bug for me, not in turn again, like, cause I don't want to give the perception. I'm like a, you know, die hard triathlete. I really like doing them. And I, I try to do them a lot, but that's really more the, the slope that got me into just races and competitions of every kind. Yeah. Got something Colin that really, really find interesting about you is I, I know a lot of endurance athletes, they stay in their lane, whether it's like long distance running, knocking out marathons or doing yeah. triathlons or biking. Not a lot of people have such a diverse set of different fitness and like performance events that they're off to i didn't even recognize a lot of the ones that you'd accomplish until i looked yeah. into it and and they're they're pretty legit and they're definitely really challenging so I'll, I'll let you talk about maybe some some highlights of what you found but i'm also curious what made you want to try so many things rather than sticking with one sport 
Yeah, no, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. It actually made me want to, because I I know like I have a lot of friends who kind of like will joke with me about doing different things. Because you're right, a lot of people are like, I'm I do marathons. I run half marathons, or I run fulls, or I'm a 5K guy, or I'm a triathlete, and and that's kind of what I do. And I would say like the one sort of like trade off with not being that is like a lot of these events you see kind of the same people, and like a lot of people know everyone else there. Cause that's, that's what they do. And so I've never necessarily like had that. Cause I've been kind of jumping around to different things. I think it's more just been kind of every incremental event I've signed up for. I've ended up loving, right. I haven't really done something where I'm like, ah, that wasn't really, ah, that's actually not true. I have one event that I was like, that was not really for me. And I, I can tell you about that, but outside of that. Yeah. So I was doing the triathlons and I was like, I definitely want to do more of them. I found that of the three sports in triathlon, in the triathlon, I loved biking the most. For me, the swim is like kind of just like a get through it. And I, I run an okay amount. I don't love running. I do love biking. I love all kinds of cycling, gravel, mountain, road. So I think the bike part of the triathlon opened the road to doing bike races. And then when I moved out west, doing gravel, doing mountain, I would say gravel's kind of become my favorite because you're on trails, but it's like a lot of the same ideas as, as road, like a lot of road and mountain bikers kind of like mm-hmm. diss each other and are totally different. You know, one's in spandex, one's in baggy shorts. You know, it's like uh, one's power meter, one's sort of like, you know, hang loose. Gravel's kind of the best of both worlds. And then started doing some of the high rocks races. I honestly just heard people at the gym talking about that and Googled it. And I was like, it sounds really cool. And then in terms of like some of the trail runs, yeah, honestly, it's like the it's kind of funny. I think a, a lot of people get kind of put in their few things, but like, you know, one of the events I think we'll talk about, like the Georgia Death Race, I signed up for that because I was at another race and I saw a guy wearing a hoodie and I thought it looked sweet and it said Georgia Death Race. On it and I, it. And I was like, yeah, I really want to do this race. It, so that I've kind of just sort of like fallen into a bunch of things. And then sorry, the last one I'd mentioned was uh, like the tactical games and kind of like the combining, you know, shooting and, fu- and fitness. I would actually give credit there. One of my dad's best friends, who's also a neighbor and of theirs in South Carolina, he is like diehard into this and uh, he kind of roped me into it in a good way, like kind of encouraged me to come out. And I, it, I absolutely like loved it and felt like just fell in love with it. And that is a whole nother world, which, you know, is one thing I love is like having your hands in so many different buckets, right? Like the overlap between triathletes and the people at tactical games or mammoth sniper <laughs> challenge is like zero. There's like no overlap. They're not the same type of people. <laughs> they don't know anything about each other's disciplines, but I love being able to come out and like do both. So yeah, yeah it's it kind of stumbled into a lot of them. Yeah. When I look at all the accomplishments that you've had across all of these different types of competitions, they vary in style and athletic I guess like the athletic capability that's most highlighted or most valued. So I'm curious, maybe I'm trying to think of what's the right word, maybe proud, like, because you've done so many across different categories and you've done for triathlons, you've done multiple. So I'm curious in your head, like start thinking about what are maybe the top three competitions that you've done that you're most proud of? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say... Number one, probably Georgia Death Race. I think that was that was the hardest I've ever pushed myself mentally. Probably the second hardest I've pushed myself physically. The hardest I pushed myself physically actually wasn't a race. It was just like a bike ride I decided to do in Hawaii, which I, I'm happy to talk about. 
Number two was probably the Lake Placid Ironman 70.3. That was at the time the farthest distance I had done. And so I think that it moved the goalposts in a very healthy way. Like one of the things I've talked about with a lot of my friends who do this is like, it's unbelievable that once you do an event like one time, your perception of like what's possible is completely changed, right? Like the first time you run a marathon, after that being like, I'm going to go do 14 mile runs, like, okay. Versus if you haven't done that before, like it, it's, it's totally different. And then, so I think that was a, yeah, to, it was a big like goalpost mover. Like after that, I was like, oh yeah, sprint try, Olympic try, I'll sign up, no problem. And then I'd say the third, this one is kind of like a, a third with a little chip on my shoulder is I did pretty decently at the High Rocks event in New York, probably a year and a half ago, I roughly. And a good friend of mine, my friend Jamie and I, we both qualified for the world championship, which is in Vegas. And then I actually broke my leg. And so I couldn't do oh. it. I still went to it. He went and I went with him to like have a, you know, have a good time and cheer him on. And, but because it was weird because we got invited to the world championships and I was like planning on going, I was immediately sort of like, I want to take like trying to get my high rocks time down really seriously. So I still feel like there's kind of like unfinished business there in the sense that like, I want to, you know, kind of pick and choose a few high rocks events where I can come back and really train specifically for that race. Cause I think it's a race where like a lot of things you can do really well, if you kind of just stay in overall fitness, this is one where like, if you train the events specifically, you can really get your time down. So I kind of want to come back to that one, but I would maybe put that as number three, that kind of, that sort of saga. Wow. There, there's a lot to dig into there, Colin. But yeah. you, you listed the the Georgia Death Race as number one. The name itself already warrants a, a story. So yeah, would love to hear about you know how how you fared and what your prep was like to get ready for that and what that race yeah. is all about. So Georgia Death Race is put on by this group called Run Bum Tours. They they do a bunch of great events, almost all trail runs. Uh, if not all trail runs, and then mostly in the Southeast. So it's a lot in like Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. So I did one of their events, which is called Sky to Summit, pretty close to my family's house. I did that like over kind of the Thanksgiving time. And I loved it. I was like, it was actually my first like trail run as a 50K. But I was like, this is great. It, what, I, what I liked is trail running is like, it's so much more mentally consuming for me personally than road running. Road running is kind of like set a pace and keep hammering trail running because your foot placement is so important. Like I just find I'm completely present in what I'm doing and like so mentally absorbed in it. So yeah, it was actually at the finish line of Sky to Summit. I saw a guy walking around with a black hoodie and it said Georgia Death Race on it. it had like a skeleton. And I was, I, I, as you know, I hoodies like my favorite thing to wear. So I was like, I really want that hoodie. So I got to do the race. So I did some research on it, found out, you know, it kind of sells out every year waited for it to open, registered like a minute in. So this is March of 22. And the race is a point to point. So it's not a loop. You finish, you start, you don't finish and start at the same place. It's 74 miles, which is one thing, but then it's 16,000 feet of elevation gain. Which that's really what matters. Can you describe that for people who don't understand 16,000 feet? Yeah. How would oh, you best man. put it? Oh, uh, how would I? Many, many hikes. What that? <laughs> Lots of lots of hikes stacked on top of each other. 
Yeah. How about how about this? If you're if you're in Lake Tahoe, you're around like six thousand feet elevation gain, and then to go to up over the mountains or to get to the very top there, yeah. you push up like mid twos, maybe roughly like mid two thousand feet. And so yeah, I would say like on a, a a pretty decent bike ride, like if you have a bike ride with a lot of climbing, and this is biking, not trail running, that's probably like. 8,000 feet of climbing. I mean, this is for me, right? If, if someone yeah. was in the, the tour de France would be a little different, but so that's what, that's the killer. It's the elevation. It's not the mileage. Like the mileage is on at that point yep. kind of becomes erroneous. Yeah. 74. It's yeah. It doesn't even yeah. No, I mean, it's long, but it's like, I'll put it differently. I would rather do 140 mile race in flat Florida with no hills than like, then repeat that with the elevation. It's just, <laughs> wow. And because it's, that's, that was, yeah, I mean, it just, it just destroys you. Wow. When, when you're signing up for this type of thing, yeah. do they have any like waiver or qualification? Like when you go to a restaurant and you're trying to eat really spicy food, they make sure you like <laughs> yeah. sign, sign away because you're about to subject yourself to immense pain. So I'm pretty sure you used to have to qualify for this race. The year I did it, you didn't. I think it's funny. It's like the one race where like most of the races this company puts on, they try to be encouraging and they like you know they've got stuff like messages right like so some of it's like a little subliminal it says like it's all about fun and you know everyone's gonna have a great time and then like this one they they like you check a box or something that's like yeah i'm willing to die or i'm willing something like that like, what's right? <laughs> so, it was actually a little bit of the opposite for this one what was the furthest mileage you had put on in one run prior to that it was the 50k yeah wow. so just just over a marathon was the longest so that's, yeah, that's I don't incredible. It. You um, decided why not just triple your distance? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I know, which is like, yeah, which is like going back to kind of what I was saying about like you see kind of the same guys, you can tell know each other and do these things. A lot of the guys at the start line, you know, again, like set the stage. It's like these things start yeah. at like five o'clock in the morning, so it's it's just pitch dark when you get there at four fifteen. But I saw tons of guys who know each other, and they're all comparing their times from like this race, that race, this, that, and the third. But yeah, so no, I, 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 it's definitely kind of been my MO a little bit of just, yeah, I'll do it. Sign up. So I, I will say like when I signed up, I, I knew I, I like told, I was like, I'm, I'm going to finish this race. Like I, come, come hell or high water, unless there's like bones sticking out or like some insane medical emergency, like I'll get across the finish line. What are some of the key moments during that race? So I would break the race up into three stages, kind of each, basically like three mini marathons within each other. So it starts super early. The first like 10 or so miles, you're not really running. It's kind of like speed hiking. And that's mostly because you're on really narrow single track and every, it's a mass start. Everyone starts at the same time. And it starts immediately with a climb. The first few miles are like kind of like speed hiking. It's it's fine, and then after the first aid station, it really breaks up the group and the trail widens out. And by that time, the sun's come up. And so, what I found from doing these events is like the the night time is always like it's a big mental thing. So when the light comes out, like it gets a lot easier. Like the first twenty five or so miles was was actually awesome. I had, I was having a blast. Like it was beautiful, perfect weather in Georgia. Like pretty sunny, but I had like a, like a trail running jacket on. So it was like, it was cool, but it was, it was great. The terrain wasn't that hard. I think mentally I knew what I was in for. So 
my legs probably like were decently fatigued, but I didn't, I didn't feel like it as much. So I was, I was having a blast. And then kind of like in a state, low 30-ish miles, that was like space two. That's when I was like looking at my watch and I'm like, great. I have a, you know, a marathon I'm doing. And one of my best buddies, Chris, like some of my texts would go to my watch. He actually was like tracking me. <laughs> I saw him text me. He's like, nice one marathon. You only have two more to do. And that's like sort of the first time when I remember seeing it and being like, dang, he's right. And that's also the first time when like my legs are starting to like tire and just starting to feel like little bits of char. I've always suffered with cramps. And so like, it's always kind of been like my, my weak point is just like calf and lower quad cramp. I've tried every single supplement and potion for sale. I, I haven't cracked it perfectly. So I was starting to kind of feel like the twitching that you get of cramps and that was kind of phase two. And then in the end of that, like kind of second mile block, there's just this long, long, long grind up, just a huge climb. I think it's like six miles, just straight climbing. It's also on like very hard packed gravel. So you've been kind of running on like softer dirt and your knees and ankles are kind of beat up and you run on this hard pack, which just, which is just, you know, beats, like beats you to shreds. And you, that's the only point in the race, at least I believe it's the only point in the race where you can meet your, if you have a support crew. And so my parents had come down just to like watch. I mean, there's not much to see, right? You kind of like, you're there and then you're gone, but they had, they've always been very loyal, like pit crew and, and love kind of cheering me on. So my parents were there, changed socks. I was going to change shoes, but your feet swell. So I actually didn't fit wow. in my new shoes that I was going to swap. So I put my old ones back on, which is kind of like a mental thing. I wolfed down like a bunch of food, refilled like my pack. And then I'd been there for, I also had to mess with some blisters and, and take care of those. So you're there for like half hour maybe. And so in that time, the sun's also setting, like right as this is happening. And I'm like cooling down and I'm like kind of sitting in the back of the truck with my like family, like doctor. And my so at, at this point, you're like well over 12 hours, 12 hours. Oh, this is like, this is like mile 50. Yeah. 50 yeah. miles. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, that's it at that point because they're, they meet their families and they're like, you know, I've done 50. I'm out. This is like right around 50 doctoring my feet, kind of with my family, restocking food. And then it's time to like keep going. Cause like the clock's running. I see other guys like dashing from the car starting to get dark. So then it is what I would call, again, these are not their numbers. This is my labels of like phases, like phase three of the the race. And this was like, it was just mental warfare. So I just been with like my parents who I'm super close with when you're doing these races too, like everything's like endorphins and stuff are firing. So like your emotions get all funky, right? Like I start always like when I'm like deep in the pain cave, start thinking about just crazy stuff and either the highs get super high and the lows get super low, right? Like you can really get upset about things that aren't big or you feel like on top of the world, but I remember feeling just really upset, kind of, it was sort of irrational, but like, I'm real upset about like leaving, having just seen my parents, my feet hurt. It was getting dark. I was cold and you still have like 24-ish miles to go and a lot of climbing. And so right after that, you start on this, like just grind of a climb up. My headlamp battery died. And it's also the field is so thin by then, like no, and, and that's serious. No one was around me because it's so spaced out at this point. Like when you look at the finished results, like there's like 10 hours from start to last place. And so it, you can only see a few minutes in front and behind you. So like, I, I couldn't see anyone. I'm 
all alone on this like dark trail. My like Garmin watch, I don't know if you can see it, like has a little light. So I was yep. using this. As, no like, way. To like make sure I didn't trip. And I'm just on this like long hill. It's windy. I'm like alone. I'm, I'm like in pain. I'm, I'm hurt. I had not trained as much. I had never gone that distance. And it was just warfare, like in the mind, like it was, it was really tough. And what, what are some of your tactics and what do you yeah. tell yourself when you're in yeah. the pain cave? Also, I'm not even sure. Are you listening to music at this point or like, Great question. what do you, what's going on in your head? People are really different with that. Music for me is like a cheat code. I love it. It's a mix of tool, the band tool, my favorite band, Metallica, and like just like rap music and then like it sounds corny i feel kind of like funny saying it but like also like i have a lot of these kind of like motivational videos saved on like youtube and like david it's like david goggins and jocko just yeah. like yelling at you and stuff like that <laughs> you haven't done enough so i was honestly listening to a bunch of those on this and a big tactic i use it sounds really elementary but it works is i would count footsteps so as my feet hit the ground i would do like one two three four five and I, what I would do is I'd pick an arbitrary number. And when I hit it, I would try to count backwards then for every footstep. And because your brain's so fried, it's actually at the, in the moment really tough. And it just keeps you distracted and time just flies by. And so yeah, I'd be like 47 and I count up to 47 and then down to zero and then pick another number and do it again. And so, yeah. So what happened was after that like stop, I was like another like 10 mile, just like straight up climb in the dark. And that was by far the hardest part of the race. And then I got up there. You're, and then, Real quick, Colin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned when you entered this race, the mentality was like, you're going to get through this, fight through yeah. this, unless there's a bone poking out. Was there yeah. any point throughout the, the segment, section three of this race, the last 25 miles that you, you started to doubt it all? And how did you fight through that if so? Doubt it? No. Did I want like want to? Yeah, like kind of. But no, honestly, no doubt. Wow. Yeah. And what I was wary of doing is what I have seen a lot before in like these events is people who, when they decide like I'm done, they will like miss the time and then kind of be like, oh, I timed out, you know, mm. that's a bummer. And so I was really worried. I was not worried. I was really conscious of not doing that. And so mm. I think these events, and this is not like my own original thought, like a lot of people have kind of talked about this you totally mess yourself up if you're like, oh, I've gone 20 and I, I, I've only, I need 50 more as opposed to just taking it like one mile at a time, right? And so my fallback approach was like, I know I can always at least jog like five miles an hour, <laughs> no matter how tired I am. And if you just like keep going at that, like you're pretty sure to not time out. And so if I'm not gonna time out, I'm gonna finish. Wow, awesome. Yeah, I think one of, a big point of, you know, pride with like races. I, I, I haven't DNF'd anything. And so I, I wanted to keep that, that streak up, but it was great. It was the mile kind of like 50 to like 64 was like the hardest. And then at the top of like mile at 64, it's the last day station. And again, it's like pitch dark, middle of the night, they had like a fire going, it's freezing cold. And this random like volunteer, I wish I knew who it was, came up to me and was like, Hey man, you like coffee? And I was like, yeah, I love coffee. And he's like, do you want a cup? I'm like brewing some over there. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love one. And he like, he like showed me this kind of like, I remember I was saying like the emotions get kind of funny. He like showed me this great kindness. And for some reason it was like very overwhelming and like in a positive way. 
And I like had this hot cup of coffee and like ate a bunch of pretzels. And then like the last 10 were like fine. I just like hammered the last 10 and felt great across the finish line. Like it was a huge turning point, just like psychologically, like kind of getting a hot cup of coffee and just sort of having like a aid station sort of like give you like kind of a thumbs up. Yeah. So then, and then finish it, which was uh, was great. I appreciate it. How did you celebrate completing the race? Oh man. So (laughs) I finished it like 3.30 in the morning the next day. And I, because it's point to point, I had like a, it's like an hour drive back to the Airbnb. And you're driving back, it's like whiny roads, really dark out. So I actually threw, I, well, I, my first celebration, I, I had to pull over and throw up because like you're eating all these like gels and just goos and underbred. Are you driving yourself back after this race? That, you don't have like someone else? You're driving yourself back? So I said I would drive myself back. My uh, parents actually came and got me, <laughs> believe Jeez. it or not. Like all That's the good. credit to them. Like, of course, too, they were like trying to guess when I'd finish. And I think they were waiting there at, like two o'clock in the morning and like met me at like, 3.30. <laughs> I, I don't, I honestly, I don't, yeah, I don't know how I would have driven myself back. I was in the back seat. <laughs> and I was just like, hey, you get a pull over. And so, yeah, so like, that's what I was saying about them being just like, a great pit crew and kind of like toughen it out so then got by the time i got home and like showered it was like 5 36 in the morning and then i had the worst night of sleep of my life like I, i've got like a whoop i, I literally got one there's only time i've seen like one percent recovery did my my heart resting heart rate was just like over 100 as i was like asleep so i slept for like a few hours and then the whole rest of the day i had extended like our airbnb i just didn't do anything like in a good way there was like a little creek right by the airbnb because it was in the woods in georgia I like sat in the cold creek water, sat on the couch. You're like so brain dead too. I was just like watching ESPN brain dead. So I basically did nothing for a day to like <laughs> kind of like celebrate. And then was was limping for like four or something days. And then that's actually how I got the leg break. So that I, one thing I didn't mention at the very oh. end, that was the, when I mentioned high rocks, like breaking the leg, kind of how it happened. Mm-hmm. So I like a few weeks because I didn't really run after Georgia death race. I read from like one of the ultra blogs, you're supposed to take like after something like that, you're supposed to take like weeks off. And plus I just like, wasn't really like keen to like start running again. So eventually like the first run I did back, I ran to the gym, which is not that far, like a few from from me here, like two, two or something miles. I did a workout and I was going, I was running back When I ran, I was running back. I felt like not a pop, but kind of like something similar in my like shin and it hurts so bad. And uh, I actually called an Uber back to my house, like, like a half mile, half mile away. And at the time my brother was staying with me in my house. He was kind of transitioning from like being a ski guy to, to going to school. So he was staying with me for a few months. And then like three days after this happened, I was like kind of crutching myself using the railings up the stairs because I couldn't put foot on my left leg. And he's like, man, you need to get that looked at. And then I got an x-ray and they were like, we can clearly see there was like a hairline stress fracture, but then you ran and now we can see like it's, it's broken. So I actually, thankfully everything was together. So I didn't need to get like a surgery or steel rod, but I was in a boot and crutches for, for months. Cause I was, yeah, that was like end of last March. And I think I was, I was like in the boot and crutches till like maybe end of june yeah i think end of june so that was that so was you got year. the hairline from the georgia death rate i'm pretty confident it. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's hard to say a hundred percent but yeah. but i i, I think wow. that's right yeah 
So I think that's like the, my only like downside of like a lot of these events, you can just sort of like push through it. But I think as the body gets older, like it just gets harder with injury, not to, sorry, I didn't say it well, but as you get older, like when you don't have, when you haven't done the volume training, your body might not handle it as well from an injury. Do you, I guess my question is when you, when you're about to do something, whether it's a training session or competition, do you decide like this is pure performance or this is pure play or do you try and do things that are a mix of both? That's a really good question. I think my personality type, if there's like an official event and there's a start bell or noise or whatever it is, and there's a, there's a leaderboard and a, a timer, I'm never going to just like go have fun. I'm always going to like push it. Like maybe, maybe too much. Like the local orange theory had like a dry <laughs> triathlon and I was like, redlining my heart rate at like 203 beats a minute like trying to get my time on that i but i would say my my expectations are different based on the event so with most triathlons or run races i know i'm not going to podium the event or i'm not i'm not going to be a top finisher and that's okay and that's a big reason of that is like I like to do a lot of things. I like to ski. I like to bike. I like to do the more tactical sports. I like to run. And so I have never, a lot of people are like, this is my thing and I'm going to hammer it. And so a lot of these, I train and go into them kind of, I don't want to say racing against myself. I go as hard as I can, but my, my expectations are different. I very rarely been like angry after an event that I didn't like how I finished or something like that. Unless I had the expectation that I would like, you know, do really well with like tactical games. There's some stages where I thought I could, you know, do really well. And then like, I, I pull a few shots and miss them and I'm annoyed with myself then. But like a lot of these events, I'm going to go all out, but I, I just keep my, my, I think a, a big phrase I believe is like, you get the result you deserve. I really do believe that. And so if I'm not going to be an all out triathlete, like I'll still do the event hard, but it's not going to result in like, Hey, this guy's like, you know, top three here. This is just an assumption, but I feel like you must have some mantras or phrases or quotes that you live by. You know, I do. They, they change a lot. I think like I, I, I hear a lot of stuff that I love and I write a lot of them down. I don't have like any of that sort of like jump out on the spot as like, that's, that's like the one, how I, how I live my life. But I, I one like, I think one that like a lot that my dad gave me was a mind of the mind itself can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. Basically just to say your mind, like mindset's so important, right? Like I mentioned, I, I love like the kind of like different speeches and kind of like mixed videos from like the David Goggins, Jocko Willink, Pinky Johnson. I love those. As as we talk more about these, like these extremes, the, the legends of endurance athletes and athleticism, I'm curious, like if you especially now I'm not calling you old, but you're getting older and I'm feeling yeah. younger than you. Like, how do you balance pushing yourself peak performance and athleticism with making sure that it's something healthy yeah. going forward? Cause I think, I don't know, this is setting up a little bit for me. Like I have been doing more swim races because I know I can do that yeah. forever versus like pumping out like a super long run, maybe does feel a little detrimental on, on certain parts of the body. So me, yeah. I like want to preserve long-term health, but at the same time, I, like you in that, I want to push myself in the short term. So I haven't really figured out a balance. I'm curious what your thoughts are. 
Yeah, that's it. How old are you again, Aiden? I'm 25, turning 26. Oh, wow, I didn't realize you're that. Okay, yeah. No, your question's very timely. This year, I mean, 2022, to be honest, was the first year of my life where I would say, like, I felt older. The body just hurt more after doing things. I felt, like, more, like, I didn't do nearly as well without, like, you know, full night's sleep. Like, a lot of the New York days, I was sleep getting, like, five hours of sleep a night, and that was fine. I don't feel that anymore and i feel like that's a lot of that slip so longevity has kind of been a big focus of mine mostly because i just want to be doing stuff till i'm like you know well into older age like i love when you do these like events and there's like the 80 year old guy just like toughing it out like i i love that guy i want to be that guy like i want to be skiing when i'm 70 and hiking around when i'm you know an old guy so i'm really focused on that and so it's a tough balance, right? Because all the stuff we've talked about, like just being able to like push through and try to be a savage and do all this can sometimes feel like contradictory. So I think two things, three, I have three things really that have been like a focus of mine. One is just being a lot more selective with events I sign up for. And I think I've had a tendency to just like, I'll sign up for everything, right? Like a, a, a road race, a trail race, a bike road race, a mountain bike race, tactical games, high ride. And like, it ends up, I don't really have training specifically for them. I kind of just do general training and it, it sort of works out. So I'm trying to be a lot more select, selective about what I sign up for, what I'm going to do, and then like training a little more for it. Not necessarily to like get the performance, but to like prevent the injury and just get the body accustomed. So that's one. Two, I've been really focused on just eating and like eating really clean, eating like healthy meals. I, I don't really drink that much, like kind of weddings and like, special life events and that's sort of it. So I think that goes into longevity and just kind of like keeping you fresh. And then three, just like spending a lot of time on like recovery. So I try to stretch every night before I go to bed, at least for like 15 minutes, just like, I actually find it, I sleep the best foam rolling there again. I'm actually a current project right now. I'm building a cold like plunge in my backyard, oh, like nice. a test freezer. I, for me, it's like one of those do it works for you. I think like the cold plunge is like the best thing ever. And I'm not going on any science there. I'm going on how I feel after. And it's just like, you feel like a, you know, you're, you're like you're 15, like your body just feels like so like fresh and, and good. So those are kind of the three things, just being, just being really mindful of like kind of what I'm signing up for, what the goals are and, and kind of going from there. Yeah. All right. This is going to be a bit more of a philosophical question. You have a whoop, you have a Garmin, yeah. I think more and more athletes and more and more people in general, they're adding more quantifiable metrics to their life, you know, yeah. whether it's athletics or a craft, like, you know, I have a blog and, and Substack tells me all these metrics and analytics. So I'm wondering, how do you avoid the over-quantifying of things in your athletic pursuits to bleed over into your life? Like, how do you ensure that you're able to enjoy life, be silly, balance a social life with all of your, your rigorous training and discipline? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question because I think it is easy to get over, overly focused on metrics. So I would say as I've gone on my like, reliance on the fitness trackers has gone down a little bit. I think I've just learned what works and, and what doesn't, right? So like stretching before bed, reading before bed equals great sleep most of the time. Alcohol, working on the computer really late, right? Till you go to bed, 
flying on a plane, like those things, like my sleep's usually pretty bad, right? And like Whoop tells you that because you input like your, what you do. I think I think it's just focusing on the right metrics, right? Like with both, so like, and you you asked about work and and kind of athletics. So with like athletic and performance, I I track my heart rate pretty religiously. So even with these, I I wear a chest strap monitor for any endurance thing I do. I think like your heart rate zones like pretty important and then on the bike I think like watts are pretty important to know like what you're outputting and have a number behind it but I don't really go much beyond that and then within my actual life the only metric I some people are really good and have systems that work for them like they track every hour and like what how did I allocate these hours right I kind of just go on my I use a, I'm a, a religious user of like to-do lists and I use this app called Todoist. Can't see it, but I have like a side monitor right here where I literally just have that up. And so I just track how much of that stuff I get crossed off. And that's what's best for me. Like I try to be realistic about how much time stuff takes. And as long as I'm like keeping managing my to-do list, I, I feel pretty good about everything else in terms of like managing other parts of life. I don't I don't quantify much more than that. Like I don't overcomplicate like eating. I don't really count macros or calories or anything like that. I kind of know it makes me feel good. I know it makes me not and just try to like do those things and then like try to, you know, stay productive. I, the benefit is I don't, I've never really been a TV guy, which I think for a lot of people who are trying to like get a lot of stuff done that can be tough. I just don't really turn on the TV. It doesn't, I just don't have that urge, right? Like I don't, I, and the trade-off is like, I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I haven't seen like all the other shows everyone's watched. So half the time when people were talking about, you know, like I was at a wedding a few weeks ago and never was talking about White Lotus and I have no idea what's going on, but like, that's, it's fine. Like, so yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I really don't, I try not to overcomplicate it. So I'm just curious, you know, it's January, it's the new year. What are some of the, what's on your adventure calendar for 2023? I also might just yeah. tack on some of those myself. Good question. Yeah, I'd love to hear your, yours as well. So in a few weeks, I'm going to Austin for, there's a new competition called the Proving Grounds. It's kind of like a spin out of tactical games. So they have two stages at night where you have to use like white light. And then they have like four or five stages the next day. But that's kind of like, yeah, it's like a fitness, shooting, tactical competition. So I'm doing that. I'm doing another tactical games in April the team events. I've got a couple like local Tahoe triathlons over the summer, 50 K run in Marlette Lake, actually put on by the same guys who were in the triathlon where we met, I think, Abe. And, yeah. Donner. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm going to do Donner this year, which is great. And then I actually, <laughs> I, not timed relative to this podcast. I actually just signed up for the Ironman Sacramento. So Ironman, California. Sweet. So that's end of, it's like end of October. So I'm figuring I would do right now. I'm kind of doing like a weightlifting circuit. I've got like some goals I want to hit. And then as the weather warms up, I'm going to just kind of go all in on like triathlons and distance and just try to get ready. And so contrary to kind of some of the stuff I've said, like for the Ironman California in October, I actually do really want to challenge myself on times and like do like a set training block. So I'm planning on doing like a three to four month set like program that's basically like, you know, all encompassing and going to kind of map out the work every day. Because I, I really want to, I'd love to get under 12 hours, yeah. which, you know, some people might listen and think that's slow, but that'd, that'd be a good goal. So that's awesome. That's an awesome mm -hmm. list just for, just for the year or two. And 
yeah. funny background story for maybe both of you don't know. I like I met Colin at the Donner Lake Triathlon. Yeah. What how that ended up happening was January of that year, I think it was 2021. My yeah. friend convinced me to just sign up for an Ironman 70.3 in Santa Cruz. I like no clue about any race. I never run more than a half marathon up to that point. Yeah, it's like, a classic. Crap. I was like, I should learn how to do a triathlon. I was like, I don't know what gear I wear. I was like, how far is this triathlon? So I signed up for the sprint version in, in Donner. And then I signed up for like Alcatraz. I was supposed to have done a half marathon to prep for everything. But then that race got postponed because of COVID. So I ended up doing it after I finished my, my Ironman. And I was like, to your point, once you've achieved a certain bar, I was like, I guess this is just going to be another Saturday to do this half marathon. Yeah. Did we do Alcatraz the same year together? I did it that same year that I did Donner, but I didn't even, I don't remember if you were there or not. Yeah, that was the same year. Like not this past summer, but the one before. Yeah, I guess we were, we were two races that, that summer. Oh my that God, I, I didn't even realize you were there. What'd you, what'd cool. you think of Alcatraz? That was one of the most pretty races I've ever done. Like the swim portion was intimidating <laughs> and gorgeous. They were talking about like meeting marine mammals on the swim. For me, I d- ended up doing two because it's so hard to stay on track. And then my friend did I was two as well. five. Yeah. That swim was tough. Like I said, the swim for me is like my least favorite. It's just such a mental thing. That was a tough swim, but it was a, that's a great race. It's a lot of, that's a bucket list try. Did you, did you lose your goggles at some point? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. I did. Maybe I did know this. I think you yeah i think i ran into you and you were like yeah i lost my goggles immediately and then swam blind the entire way back oh my god yeah so yeah i did man i feel like i have like a weird story about all these events but i jumped in and so i made a huge mistake which was i used a brand new pair of gear i'd never used before for the race like shame on me i actually fell for i bought at the you know like the day before there was like the briefing and there was like a, a booth that was selling these like goggles. And these people were like, these are amazing. And I was like, yeah, I don't really like mine anyways. So I bought them. I was like, I'll use these tomorrow. So the first swim I was ever going to do in them, I was that race. And you jump off that platform by Alcatraz or off the boat. And uh, yeah. I jumped off and I was holding my goggles on so they didn't pop off. But I didn't realize the impact like broke a plastic piece off the side. And so when I took my hand off, they just like fell off. Like completely off the face and you know everyone's jumping in so it's like it's like white water and i couldn't find them like they were gone and everyone's like yelling like you gotta move you gotta move because people are like jumping in and so i'm like well that's gone and then i went up <laughs> to the like one of the safety guys on a jet ski i was just desperate and i was like floating in the water and i'm like hey any chance you have like an extra pair of goggles i was like i will i will remember your venmo account i'll, I'll send you a hundred dollars like the second the race is over and he's like, nah, I don't, sorry. And like, you're actually, you're not really supposed to be out here like without them. So like, I don't, you're not like, really, and so I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to go. Yeah, I did swim goggleless, which was like, it, may, it makes for a good story. It detracted from the event a little bit. Cause I kept having to like, I had my eyes, I wear contacts. So like if I open my eyes, the water would flush them out. And so I, I couldn't happen. So I was like swimming with my eyes closed and then every like 15, 20 strokes, I would like poke my head up and half the time I'd be like so completely, pointed, completely pointed the wrong direction. But hey, that's just like what happens, right? And it's like, a, it's like a bar setting thing, right? So like, that's the plus. It's like, now if I can do like a 1.8 mile swim with goggles, it's like, oh, oh easy. Like I got it, you know? Just from talking to you, Colin, I, yeah. I was at the gym earlier today and I was like, it was kind of a half-ass workout. Now I'm looking like, oh, I should... I just need to crank it up a notch. I know I can do better. And so 
I've gotten it. a lot out of this. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me. This was Thanks great. so much for jumping on. I'm, I'm glad I met you at that very first race. And honestly, hearing about your recount of the Georgia death race, I'm convinced yeah. I'm going to sign up for a race for this year. I had nothing on my, my map, but yeah. I feel like I want to push myself now. I feel inspired. I love it. Thanks so much, Colin. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it.